time we'll dismiss our children to Children's Church in this third grade below. Singing these Christmas songs makes me hopefully get in the spirit and hopefully you as well. Always looking forward to Christmas Eve at Omaha Bible Church. It also reminded me of what I heard throughout the house yesterday as I was working, doing other things. I heard kids, little kids saying, I can't believe we lost Jesus. And then I would hear it again, I can't believe we lost Jesus. There's a context. The context is... They're decorating Christmas tree, all the things getting set up. And I found out later why they said, I can't believe we lost Jesus. Because my mom had this, uh, you know, made out of olive wood nativity, super fancy, super nice. She probably bought it when she was in Jerusalem. The first time she was there when they get you to buy things you shouldn't buy for way too much money. And anyway, they trick you into believing that it's the same wood that Jesus would have touched. And I, sh- I digress. So, so it's a super nice nativity and it's in our living room. It's all set up and there's no Jesus. <laughs> I can't believe we lost Jesus. So, yeah, if you come and visit our house, you'll come in the living room and you'll see a super nice fancy nativity. Just one problem. <laughs> and it wasn't my planned sermon introduction this morning, but it actually serves as a good sermon introduction. Because so many times our Christian living ends up being a Christless kind of Christian living and it spells trouble. It doesn't make any sense for you to try to live the Christian life apart from Christ, apart from the gospel of Christ. And yet it's something that we, we try to do time and time again. And it's as ridiculous as a Jesus-less nativity. And so let's have it be a good word picture for us as we look at Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians 5 is about the Christian life. Okay? It's about what you're supposed to do. It's what you're, uh, do these things, don't do these things. And it's not talking to unbelievers, it's talking to believers. But so many times we read these do's and don'ts and we forget their context. We forget Christ, quite honestly. And we don't want to do that. Okay, so remember, as we're doing this overview of Ephesians, remember that we're just doing a chapter a week, we're looking at the big picture, but in one sense, we shouldn't be doing a chapter a week, we should do the whole book in one week. Because the first three chapters are all about what Christ has done. Okay, it's not a Christless book. It's drenched with Christ. It's all about what He has done. Chapter 2 tells us it's all about what He has done. When we were totally undeserving, we were dead in our trespasses and sins, and God makes us alive, but He makes us alive together with Christ. So we have to make sure we keep that in mind. And then we get to chapter 4, and and the door turns on the hinge, and now commands. Hardly any commands, if any. It's all what Christ has done. And now chapters 4, 5, and 6, we are almost assaulted with commands. There are so many. Here's how to live. Here's the way to live your Christian life. And we have to make sure we keep both in check or we're either going to be self-righteous. Oh, yes. Husbands love their wives. I'm good at that. Okay? We're either going to be self-righteous and we forget that I'm so bad at that on my own that I needed Christ to die for my sins. 
or we're going to be not self-righteous, but we're going to be so beat up that we're going to want to give up because we're going to know that we're not so good at it. Just using myself as an example. And it's going to so beat me up and I'm going to feel like a failure because I am a failure when it comes to perfectly doing that. I've got to remember in Christ, Christ paid for my failures. Christ not only died for me, He was raised for me and I'm united to Christ and so I'm not enslaved to sin anymore. And now by God's grace, also by the power of the Spirit, I actually can do things I'm supposed to do. And so we don't want to fall into the trap of self-righteous, yeah, I'm good at that, but we also don't want to fall into the trap of, I'm such a failure, I'm just going to give up. And just, what's the word for it? Just, just give up and, and, and be completely frustrated and overwhelmed and just give in. A book like Ephesians helps us to see Christianity and the Christian life in the good and right and balanced way. You're not good at these things. That's why you need a Savior. You're not good at doing the right thing. And it's not just husbands and wives. It's also morality. It's one another's. It's all the things we're supposed to do in love. We're not good at them. Christ dies for us. Christ is raised for us. We're being, we've been given the Spirit. We've been given the right direction. And then by the power of the Spirit... We want to live the right way because we want to draw attention to the power of Christ and, and do so out of thanksgiving to Him. So Ephesians is awesome because it puts it all together. But I have to keep reminding myself and reminding you it's meant to all be together. Okay? Ready? We're going to hear some, some good ones today. Uh, but keep it in perspective, if you will. Again, it's an overview, so I'm not really using an outline this morning. It's sort of overwhelming because there are so many things. I hope the text is used by the Spirit of God to beat you up so you can see your need for Christ. You'd repent of your self-righteousness. But I also hope you see Christ as your righteousness, as what brings you to God, and then it doesn't beat you up anymore. It encourages you. And you say, oh yeah, that's right, that's good. I want to do that. God help me. And I can, because I'm not dead anymore, spiritually. I'm alive. That's what I hope happens. So, assaulted, shown Christ, reminded, your, reminded of Christ, and then encouraged, is what hopefully should happen here. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 1 says, Therefore, just like chapter 4, verse 32, Therefore, and he's saying that because God has forgiven us, right? Right before this. Chapter 4, verse 32, Be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. Oh yeah! That's chapters 1, 2, and 3. He forgave me in Christ. So now when He tells me what to do, it makes way more sense. With that in view, Therefore, because God has forgiven you, be imitators of God as beloved children. That right there, again, taken out of context, you're like, oh no! Right? This is terrible. I have to imitate God. If you're self-righteous, you're like, yeah, I imitate God. I do it so well. And, you know, I don't know what you're smoking, but you're crazy. You have no idea who God is. You have no idea what He does. You're not in touch with reality, okay? If you think you're so good at imitating God. Made the point, at least. <laughs> but on the other hand, you get all beat up and you're like, imitate God? 
I'm still going to hell. It's not even funny. When you're in touch with reality, I might as well just give up now. No, therefore, right? Be imitators of God. Therefore, as God has forgiven you in Christ, we learned that in chapter 1. It changes all the perspective. Oh, because God has done this for me and all that goes with that, be imitators of God. Oh, okay. Not for salvation, but because of salvation. As beloved children. See, I'm not reading into this. He's, he's, he's telling us that's what he means, even if he's using shorthand. As beloved children. How did we become beloved children? We were children of wrath in chapter 2. We became beloved children only because of the grace of God, by the power of God. Chapter 1 and chapter 2. He's bringing it all together. It's fascinating. It's amazing. It's encouraging. And walk or conduct yourself. Look at verse 2. This is how you live your life. Walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us. Oh yeah. He did do that. I want to imitate that. A fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. Oh yeah. This is, this is honoring to God to do this. He, he caused me to have a new life. It would be honoring for me toward Him to live like I have a new life. This is what I want to do. This is just keeping Christ at the forefront, reminding us the right response to the gospel is to want to please God. I mean, when I, when I looked at the opening two verses, I wrote down for my own heart, this is number one, right. Number two, helpful to others. Number three, the right response to the gospel. Number four, pleasing to God. It's like, all right. Think of the practicality of that. I want to please God. I want to show kindness and love toward others. I want to live in light of what Christ has done for me. Just bringing it all together, putting it all together for us. And it seems like what follows then in chapter 5 is an elaboration on that. So as long as you understand verses 1 and 2, then the rest of it starts to fall into place. If we take these other things out of context, then we're going to come up with a different religion other than biblical Christianity. But let's go ahead and keep it in context, verse 3. But sexual immorality, as defined by God, right? Not defined by my sinful heart. But sexual immorality and all impurity or covetousness must not be named among you, as is proper among the saints. Not only is it not good, it shouldn't even be named among you. So, it used to be, let's sin, and when we're being policed, let's at least get as close as we can to sinning. And he's saying, you know, as a Christian... Having been made alive, united to Christ, died with Him, raised with Him, new life, sealed by the power of the Spirit, you don't even want it to be named among you. I mean, you're so far from trying to get as close to the line as you can that, it, that, that it's not even funny. It's totally different. Our passion now is not to act like animals. Our passion now, what we're fired up about and moved by, is honoring Him the one who redeemed us, the one who rescued us, the one who gave us new life, that made us children, not of darkness, but of light. Then it says in verse 4, speech is also influenced. So not only our morality, also our speech, 
Let there, let there be no filthiness or foolish talk nor crude joking, which are out of place, but instead let there be thanksgiving. It makes me think of Jesus in Mark chapter 7 when he says, uh, I'm paraphrasing, that out of the heart, the mouth what? The mouth speaks. Well, I didn't really mean to say that. Well, yes, you did. What you say reflects what's inside. And so, Paul's on point here. You don't talk the same way. Because your heart's different. You're, you're a different person. Instead, what you do is you give thanks. What's coming out of your mouth in light of Ephesians chapters 1, 2, and 3, and how awesome God is and what He's done, contrary to where we were headed, contrary to being dead in trespasses and sins. He made us alive. It's so awesome and so amazing, and He's expecting us to still have that, 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 that sense. What are we busy doing? Saying things we shouldn't say? We're busy saying, thank you, God, that you didn't give me what I deserved. But again, when I don't do that, it's because I've take, I have the, the Christless nativity. I have a Christless Christian life. I've, I've forgotten what Christ has done for me. And it's so easy to do that. It's so easy that the Lord said, do communion until I come back. That's how easy it is to keep remembering what I did for you. Because if we remember what He's done... We can't help ourselves, but what's coming out of our mouths but thanksgiving, not vulgarities. We're never going to get done with this. But because, here's what's true of sin. Here, here's why we, we don't even want to be in the same zip code as, as sin. Because here's what's true of sin. Look at verse 5. For you may be sure of this. You can take this to the bank. You can, you can bet on this. That everyone who is sexually immoral, again, according to God's standards, or impure, or who is covetous, that is an idolater. Interesting that covetousness uh, is equated with idolatry because we're worshiping stuff. Has no inheritance in the kingdom of Christ and God. Let no one deceive you with empty words, for because of these things, the wrath, the judgment, the just judgment of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Now, we're not the sons of disobedience if we're Christians. We're the sons of God. We belong. We're inheritors. So his point is, you don't even talk about this stuff because that stuff is associated with people who are under the wrath of God. You're not under the wrath of God if you're in Christ. Isn't it interesting that he says, don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. Seems like in the context would be people saying, oh, that's not true. You're a good person. You're nice. God's nice. Isn't that nice? Everything's going to be okay. To each his own. Don't let anybody deceive you with empty words. No inheritance in the kingdom of Christ. Now again, taken alone, given our hearts, we're all smoked. We, we, we don't want to go self-righteous. Yeah, I'm not immoral. 
You haven't read the Bible very closely, specifically the words of Jesus. Or we go over here and we're like, defeated. Forget it. He's saying, you're, if you're in Christ, you've been made alive together with Him. Don't live like that hasn't happened. Don't live like people who are going to hell if you're not going to hell. It doesn't make any sense. It's crazy. Verse 7, Therefore do not become partakers with them. That, 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 that's idiotic. That's nonsensical. It's inconsistent with who you are in Christ. Verse 8, For at one time you were darkness. Chapter 2 talks about that. You definitely were there. But now you are light in the Lord. How about that? That's super important. You're not, you now are light because you're such a good person. And you keep the commandments. No, he uses that shorthand in the Lord because of what he's done. You're united to him. But nevertheless, it's true. You are light in the Lord. Walk as children of light. Act like it. Act like you belong to Jesus because you do if you've trusted in him. Verse 9, for the fruit of light is found in all that is good and right and true. And that's how we want to be living. We want to be living good lives. We want to be living lives that are characterized by rightness and trueness. Again, you put that in the wrong place, you're a legalist, a self-righteous legalist. You put it in the right place, you say, yeah, this is the fruit of Christian living. I want to do that. Make sure that we understand in Christianity, biblical Christianity, there's most definitely a place for good works. You just don't want to put it in the wrong place or it's a different religion. But you do want to have a place for it. But it comes because you've been united to Christ. It comes by the power of the Spirit. It comes out of a heart of thanksgiving and gratitude. We're seeing all of those things in our book, Ephesians. It's not just because of the power of the Spirit. It's not just because of gratitude. It's not just... There's all of those great realities. Because we're in Christ, we have been given the Spirit, causes thanksgiving, wants us to do the right thing. Let's keep going. Verse 10. And try to discern what is pleasing to the Lord. Again, now, new priority number one is I want to please the Lord. I want to honor Him. I'm thankful unto Him. please consider the change of disposition. Maybe you know what God wants and it's just like, oh, rats. And you might say worse than rats. New creature in Christ? How would this best please the Lord? And you say, where does that come from? Positive self-talk? No. It comes from a real place. It comes from Ephesians 1, 2, and 3. Because of the work of Christ for you, it, come, it, it stems from reality. The real work of Christ for you. How can I please the Lord? How can I do that? I want to do that. That's just what's right. It's what's normal. 
I kind of wonder what you're, I kind of wonder what you're feeling. I kind of wonder what you're feeling. Some of you are encouraged. Some of you are bothered. Just wonder. The great thing is, depending on the angle you're looking at the text from, I think it's designed to do those things. But in the end, it's intention to Christians is to encourage. So then verse 12 says, no, we, we, didn't, we need verse 11, right? Take no part in the fruitful works of darkness, but instead expose them. Now it doesn't seem like this is a call for all Christians to start an exposed darkness ministry. So if you feel called of God to do that, stop it. <laughs> it's probably not the idea because this is for all Christians. But as you, let me put it this way, as you go about your business, living the Christian life, seeing fruit in your life, asking yourself the question naturally, maybe supernaturally, what would please the Lord in my speech, in my action, in my thoughts, in my conduct? What would please the Lord? And by God's grace, you're, you're, you're seeking to do what pleases the Lord. What's going to happen, because now you're living in light of what God says, by God's grace, albeit imperfectly, it's happening in your life. What is going to happen is, you are going to have that kind of ministry in the lives of others, whether they, whether they like it or not. Because it exposes darkness. It's not evangelism. That's important too. Maybe it creates opportunities for evangelism. It may just create hatred. But as you're going about your business, not trying to flaunt it, look at me, I'm so special, you're just trying to do the Christian thing, it's going to have a ministry in the life of other people. <laughs> Maybe not the kind they welcome. It's an exposure kind of thing. Verse 12, For it is shameful even to speak of the things that they do in secret, but you're going to start exposing that by the way you live. But when anything is exposed by the light, it becomes visible. For anything that becomes visible is light. Therefore, it says, perhaps quoting an early Christian song, that's why it's in quotations, it's at least an early Christian saying, Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Seemingly calling a person, so it kind of is evangelistic, or related to it, calling upon a person living in sin to come to Christ for life. Awake, O sleeper, and arise from the dead, and Christ will shine on you. Verse 15, look carefully then how you walk, Christian. Look at your life, look at your conduct. This is important. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Again, for the glory of Christ, out of thanksgiving, not because it's such a bummer and a chore and all of our fun is spoiled. Verse 17 says, therefore do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is.
start living this way, exposes sin, that provides opportunities, maybe for you to get hurt, But better yet, it provides opportunities for you to then call people to not be like you because you're so good, but to call people to trust in Christ because He's so gracious. Verse 18 says, And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, that's sinful, that's not right, inappropriate. Don't get drunk with wine. But be filled with or be controlled by is the idea. Because you'd be, you'd be filled with wine and controlled by wine if you're, what, do, what would we say, too filled with wine? You're so filled with wine you're drunk. For that is debauchery. That's not right. But be filled, controlled by the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. How about this? Someone has put it this way and I'll borrow from them. Both are unnatural states. You're too filled up with wine, you're drunk. You've abused what is otherwise said in Scripture as good. But the unnatural state you want to be in is to be filled with the Spirit, controlled by the Spirit. That's what we're trying to do now. That's what we want to do now. That's what's good now. I want my life to be controlled by the Holy Spirit. Different affection, different desire, different agenda. Verse 19 then says, addressing, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. So it's genuineness. It's not just rote memory. It's, it's internal. This is the new real you. So the, the evidence of the fruit of the Spirit would show itself even in the way you, you talk to other people. And those things there, no doubt, when you look at addressing one another, psalms, hymns, spiritual songs, singing, making, making melody to the Lord in your heart, that relates back to what he's already talked about, and that's a thankful heart. When you're thankful, you, 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 you talk like you're thankful. You, you, you treat others with love and kindness, and, and you, you respond to God with thanksgiving. And I'm not just reading into it. I started writing that in my notes. This sounds like the, the fruit of the thanksgiving that would come earlier. And then here it is, verse 20. Giving thanks. You see? I'm not making it up. Giving thanks always and for everything to God the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. So I, I, I so want you to see it. I know I, I keep saying it perhaps the same way. It's the gratitude. It's the thanksgiving for what God has done for us in Christ which was established way back in chapter 1 and chapter 2 and chapter 3, and now, all of a sudden, we're to, to, to talk differently to one another, and we're, we're singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and we're telling others about Jesus and what He's done and what He means and, and what it means to worship Him and how great He is and how awesome He is. We start sounding like, you know, charismatics or something. Because we're thankful. We just forget what makes us thankful. He's reminding us what makes us thankful. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, this happens. Again, reminding us to run back to the first three chapters. 
So when I talk to you like I'm a jerk, it's because I am. (laughs) I shouldn't. What I need is a big dose of memory enhancer. And what I need is you to take me by the hand and, and, and take me back to Calvary. Because one thing is sure to happen if that happens. I'm thankful. And then my disposition can be different. Then we start talking appropriately to one another. But when he says psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, sing to one another, it just, it, it, it's, a, it's a few ratchets above merely appropriate speech. And there's joy involved. There's excitement involved. There's praise involved. So, if you're thinking, why do we talk about the gospel all the time? This would be why. As one of my friends says, because you know, we're gonna we're gonna fill we're gonna get our thimble filled up today. Instead of our glasses. We're gonna we're gonna get our thimbles filled up and we're gonna spill the thimble before we even get to the parking lot. And then we'll come back next week with our thimbles. <laughs> If you don't understand the illustration, I don't either, no. <laughs> the idea is we, we, we come to receive this and, and so we can understand this and, and to, to have our cup filled so we can be satisfied. But our cups are like this and we don't even get that. So we have to be reminded again. I dare you to read the New Testament looking for these kinds of patterns. to read First and Second Timothy and look for an emphasis on the gospel. It's all over the place. Because now we're ready to hear what we might not otherwise want to hear. So I'll read it super fast. <laughs> Verse, are we at verse 21, I think? Yeah. Yeah, the watcher. Okay, here we go. It says in verse 21, submitting to one another out of reverence for Christ. Well, that, that's not even to the point yet. That, that, that shows deference. That shows others are important. That it's not just about us. I should have maybe put that with a verse above, but now we're at verse 22. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. There's a lot more to marriage than that. But that's involved. Co-heirs, equal, uniquely gifted, both of you, one in Christ, all of those things can and should be said. But there are roles that are unique. And at the end of the day, Husband is supposed to lead. Again, all kinds of context, fruit of the Spirit, other things we should talk about we're not talking about this morning. There's a place for not submitting. The Apostle Paul himself says submit to the government, and he doesn't when the government tells him to sin. 
But for this morning, do notice that this is given to us as what's right. There's order in the family. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. Self-righteous wives, there are none here today, I know. I'm good at that. I do that. I don't even need Jesus to do that. You don't get it. (laughs) I'd love to talk to your husband. (laughs) Right? Or the defeated wife who only hears that as naked law. We're defeated. I'm so not good at that. Throw in the towel. The Christian wife is meant to see this in context, to see Christ having done everything right for her, resting in Him, united to Him by faith, resurrected life, Holy Spirit also... You know, I, I can work on that out of gratitude, out of thanksgiving. Because it's right, it's good. I have a new desire. I'm thankful unto the Lord what He's done and I've learned about it in the first three chapters. And so, you know what? This is good. I'm, I'm going to focus on this. I want to please the Lord and do this. See the difference? Verse 23, For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives submit in everything to their husbands. Super easy to understand. Super hard to do, I'm sure. Verse 25, Husbands, love your wives. Again, I read that and think, As if anybody needed to tell me that. I'm good at that. Right? Self-righteous. It's a good thing Molly didn't come come to church today. Home with a sick kid. I'm such a good husband. (laughs) Not true. Then we come over here. Terrible at being a husband. Loving my wife. Right? Christian husband says, I'm thankful for what Christ has done for me. I've been united to him. No longer are my sins held against me. But I have been united with him and that includes resurrection unto newness of life. And I do have the Holy Spirit and my heart is filled with gratitude because God doesn't hold my sins against me. And so that's good and right and I'm going to prioritize that. Controlled by the Spirit. Informed by the Word of God. Christian living. Living, seeking to do this because of Christ. Not to gain Christ, but because He's gained us. We've gained salvation. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave Himself up for her. As he, that He might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the Word, so that He might present the church to Himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish, in the same way husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. Total failure at that. But it's good and right, and now that I'm a Christian, I want to seek to do that. Next verse, or, or the next sentence. He who loves his wife loves himself. Right? Because you're joined together, one flesh. For no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. 
Therefore a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that, in, that it refers to Christ and the church. That's really what the point is here. That's really what's happened here. We're, we're to learn about the work of Christ from marriage and marital roles and what Christ has done. Then he says in verse 33, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. I can't resist doing one marriage counseling thing here. And that is, please notice, husbands and wives, and I know not everyone here is married, so you can pray for the married people if you're single. We're thankful for single people. Pray for the rest of us. Know that this is what God's plan is for others. Perhaps you one day, we don't know. But please know this. Wives are told what their role is. Husbands are told what their role is. And the roles aren't conditional. And almost, not everyone, almost every marriage counseling scenario between husbands and wives, let's say 90%, are tied to not getting that. Because here's how I think. If Molly starts doing the right thing, then I will. Or Molly thinks, if Pat starts doing the right thing, or if he does it the way I think he should do it, then I'll start. It's so interesting. Husbands, here's what you're supposed to do. Wives, here's what you're supposed to do. Now, in talking to husbands and wives, I'd like to put them in separate rooms and get them to focus on what they're supposed to do. Yeah, but my husband... No, this is what you're supposed to do. Yeah, but my wife... No, that's what you're supposed to do. Now, we obviously want to work together. And there needs to be growth in both lives. But let's make sure we remember that. My wife could be, I don't even want to say, the worst person on the planet. I'm called to love my wife. As Christ loved the church, let's remember that when Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, we weren't good. We weren't lovely. We were God's enemies. My wife could be my virtual enemy. Praise God, she's not. She's my best friend. But she could be. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. We boast that, that we're not Arminians. We're not Pelagians. We're not semi-Pelagians that says, God saw that we were so good, He had Jesus die for us. We pride ourselves at Omaha Bible Church at not believing bad theology. We say, while we were enemies, because that's what Romans says, Christ died for us. Husbands, Make sure your theology carries over into your reading of Ephesians chapter 5. I want you to leave encouraged. I really want you to leave encouraged. There's hope for you, no matter who you are. There's hope for your marriage, no matter what it's like. Because in the end, ultimately, sure hope is found in Christ. We have to remember that. 
We have to keep that in mind. As we look at our lives and our own lives and other lives and we see what a mess things are, we're going to talk bad, we're going to act bad, we're going to speak with bad grammar. But when we remember what God has done for us in Christ, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, no doubt we'll have thanksgiving to the degree and to the point where we can actually sing to one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. And no one in their right mind would do that looking at the evil, corrupt world all around them. But we do that because we know of what happened in Christ for us. And it changes everything. There's hope. There's encouragement. Let's pray. Father, thank you for this morning. Thank you for the opportunity we have to eat bread and drink wine in the remembrance of Jesus Christ, our risen intercessor, the one who claims us as his own. Please help the men and women and boys and girls who are here today who are participating to, to eat and drink as acts of worship that we would have hearts filled with thanksgiving unto you because you are indeed a kind and gracious Savior. Help us to not go through the motions in an empty way. Thank you for giving us patterns. Thank you for giving us blessed ruts to drive in that remind us again and again of the realities of Calvary and the empty tomb. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.